turns to the senior citizen and says, do you want to play a game? The senior citizen thinks, you know, I just want to have a nap. <laughs> so he politely declines and says, no, I, I think I'll have a few, a few winks. The lawyer persists and says that the game's a lot of fun. And he says, I'll ask you a question. And if you don't know the answer, you pay me $5. And then you ask me a question. And if I don't know the answer, I'll pay you $100. Now, this catches the senior citizen's attention. And so to keep the lawyer quiet, he agrees to this game. And the lawyer asks the first question. He says, what's the distance from the earth to the moon? Senior citizen doesn't say a word, but reaches in his, to his pocket, pulls out a $5 bill, and gives it to the lawyer. That's the senior citizen's turn. So he says to the lawyer, what goes up a hill on three legs and comes down on four? The lawyer uses his laptop, searches everything he can find, phones his, it must be an American flight because you can't do that on BA, but he phones his friends, all his smart friends. Nobody can answer this question. Meanwhile, the senior citizen's having a nap. And eventually, the senior citizen sorry, the, the, the lawyer wakes the senior citizen up and says, I, I just don't know the answer. Here's $100. Gives $100 to senior citizen, who then promptly falls back to sleep again. The lawyer's now doing his nut because he needs to know the answer to this question. So he wakes the senior citizen up and again and says, so what does go up the hill on three legs and come down five, on four? And the senior citizen lead, pulls out of his pocket another $5 and gives it to the, <laughs> to the lawyer. it's the end of the game (laughs) I want to talk to you about wisdom which I'm not sure I think think that's possibly wisdom no not wisdom, favour but wisdom's kind of in, in in the middle of this because we have that actually uh, a a well known verse in Luke 2.52, where Jesus, as a 12-year-old, has gone missing. You know the story. His parents have gone off with the rest of them, heading back to Nazareth. And Jesus is missing. And eventually they head back to Nazareth looking for him. And they find him as his 12-year-old. And it says of Jesus that he kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. Now, I don't know what, whether you've ever thought about that verse and kind of the strangeness of that verse. Because here you have the perfect son of God. Okay, he's a 12-year-old. But... He's perfect. He's never done anything wrong in his life. He has obeyed the Father's wishes and has laid aside his majesty and his glory. And he's come as a babe to earth 
and it says he's growing in favor with God. How can, how can he grow in favor with God? And I'm sure if Jesus as a 12-year-old needs to grow in favor of God, then there's probably some growing I need to do. It's kind of one of those weird things that you think, well, how, how can that be? How can Jesus even want more favor? How can he actually, you know, what, what, what is that? And I, and I want us to unpack this word favor first. Because I think that will help us. Because actually it's a really important word for us. And we're all, we're all I, sort of familiar with the idea of um, favour in the idea of preferential treatment. So um, y- you might have a favourite. You know, as a parent, you try very hard not to have a pet favourite, or you try to make them both your favourite. Um, in my case, too, for me. But, pointing over. Uh, <laughs> See, it was always somebody else, isn't it, that's the favourite. Um, and at, at the heart of this word, um, there is that sense, but actually the word favour, chariti, um, comes from this other Greek word, charis, which means grace on the part of the giver, favor, kindness, or good graces. So we, under, we kind of use that phrase ourselves. We, we talk about getting into someone's good graces, which means to receive their favor. It means that we expect more from somebody when we're in their good graces. And the tr- same is true with God. You see, this, this favor that we receive, or that Jesus was growing in, was actually a grace upon his life. There was an increasing grace upon his life. And it's tied up with what he was able to do, what he was able to move into. He was, he was growing in trust, if you like, with God, the Father. He was demonstrating who he was. And that, that, that favor upon him increased. We have a heavenly Father that truly loves us. He really does. And he wants to be known by us as well. And relationship is right at the heart of grace. In fact, Jesus came so that relationship could be restored. You go back to the garden, the big problem there is that relationship was lost. The relationship between man and God was broken. Something came in the way. And Jesus came back to restore relationship. And now, I don't know if we walk in all the good of that. I don't actually know if in this age it's possible to walk in 
all the good of that. But I know for sure I'm not walking in all the good that there is. There's a level of relationship. There's a level of access. And, And Becky brought that verse from Hebrews 4 this morning, which I almost wrote down and then didn't. But it was... It was because Becky was going to bring it, obviously. But, but it, it, it talks about how we can come into his presence with confidence. We come into the throne room of God. I want to just look at another, um, another passage, which is um, from Ephesians 2, which I think will be up there. It's very small, sorry, so I'll, I'll, I'll read it. But, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We come into relationship as a sovereign act of grace and mercy. But more than that, this passage then continues, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not only... Are we brought into relationship in grace? But actually, he empowers us for life. He puts within us what we need for life. And he's prepared for each one of us things to walk in. Now, I always, you know, you can think of this however you like, and this is free, um, because you don't have to think of it this way if you don't like, but I, I think of it as something you put on. It's like the clothes you put on in the morning, that you walk in them. It's not like a tightrope. It's not like a, you know, the, it's set out that you will do this today. <laughs> and if you fall off this tightrope, then you've gone wrong. I feel it's more like he gives you things that you put on. You put on clothes of mercy. You put on clothes of grace and of love. And there are particular people that will come across your path during the day. And as an overflow of the grace of God in your life that will touch those people. And so he empowers us. He prepares us. Another passage in 2 Peter 1. Um... Oh, that didn't work very well. Um, His divine power has granted to us all that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to or by his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires." A shocking passage. Did you miss it? (laughs) Did you miss the shock? Not only does Peter speak of being called to his own glory and excellence, 
So there's something of his own glory bound up in us. But it also says we become partakers of the divine nature. That there's God himself within us. Now we kind of know that, don't we? We know we have his Holy Spirit. But there's something of his nature that is tied up in you, that's tied up in me. There's his glory is invested in you. Now in the Old Testament it says glory, God shares, does not share his glory with any. And actually, if you look at that, the context is about the idols, about other gods. But I always say, we're not anyone, because we're someone. We are his. And there's something about his glory that he invests in you and in me. We carry his glory. And so when we when we are out there dressed in the good works that we're walking in, we carry his glory with us as well. So this favor that's upon us starts in those two places. It starts in relationship and it starts in the power to live the people we're supposed to be, the life we're supposed to live. And Jesus was growing in both of these things. He was growing in the knowledge of his Father as he searched the Scriptures. And we, um, and we find in that story that um, you know, he, was, he was debating with these scribes. He was getting to grips with the things that he was learning through the Scripture that was explaining to him who he was. He was growing in favor of relationship with his father. And he was growing in terms of the stature of the power that was at work within him. I think we sometimes think of it as like a static thing that we get saved and it's kind of there. But actually, that relationship, that power is something that should be growing within us. That the level of favor increases Within us, and, and that story of Jesus is, is quite interesting because in the narrative, when Mary and Joseph come back, they said to Jesus, "Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for for you." And he reframes the father; he reframes who his father is, and he replies, "Why is it that you're looking for me? Did you not know?" that I had to be concerned with my father's affairs. And he reframes his father and says, actually, my father isn't worried about where I am. He knows where I am. And I had to be here because it's his affairs, it's his business that I'm concerned with. But... What is the key to this increase? What, what is it that kind of enables that increase to go on happening? And I think there's one passage in particular that's really important. And it's a passage, again, we're all familiar with. And it's the story of the talents. From Matthew 25, I'll just read a few verses because um, actually it's 14 to 18 
I don't know why I put 14 to 15 there. Um, For it, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents. That's a level of money. So just, I know the word talent is confusing, but it's just cash. It's actually quite a lot of cash. Um, To another two, to another one, each according to his ability. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, parables are exactly that. They're parables. And sometimes you can stretch a parable too far and end up with something that... And and we'll come back to that because it's very easy with this one to kind of just take it a little bit too far. So I'll try and be careful. Um, But the parables tell us that we all receive a measure. And that measure is according to our ability. If you like, if I could rephrase that, it's to do with our level of favor of where we are now. And I also want to suggest that there's an implicit message as well as an explicit message here in this parable. So this is where I'm going to be careful. But I'll throw this one out. If you don't like it, then it doesn't really matter. But I think there's an implicit message here that each of the servants also had an idea of what they might do with those talents. But one of them lacked the courage or maybe was too lazy to do something with it. See, stewardship is about taking what God gives us, the resource, the grace, and courageously entering in with that, into that place, what, you know, the thing that he's placed on your heart. I, I, that's my heart. That's what I think, that they knew what to do with it, that, that they already had an idea, and that God places on your heart plans, if you like, things. He gives you resource, but it's not just resource. It's something that he has already told you, in some way at least, of what you can do with that. And being courageous with the way that we deal with that. And when we do that, we find increase. We find that that resource becomes more resource. It's a mystery. It's a bit like planting the seed in the ground. You know, it it just happens. As you are faithful with what you're given, then it becomes more. I actually think God puts a lot of dreams in people's hearts a lot of ideas. But sadly, a lot of them go unfulfilled. And maybe part of the reason for that is that we're not faithful with the resource we do have. You see, he sometimes gives you a vision for something in the future that you don't have yet the resource for. But he's given you the resource for something where you are. I understand Richard spoke last week about dealing with disappointment, which is a great topic and um, something I preached on a few weeks ago. Um, I'm just going to do something. Sorry, walking in front of the speaker. Yeah.
This isn't in my sermon. Um, I'll go in the middle. Um, I just want you to imagine that these three chairs represent three places that you can be in life. This chair here represents the past. And it's really good to remember the past. It's really good to remember what God has done for you. And in fact, the Israel used to build these towers of stone to remember things. First time they did it was when they crossed the the, red, the, uh, the Jordan, and they picked up stones from the bottom of the Jordan and carried it to the far shore, and they built this pile of stones so that in the future they could remember what had happened there. It's good to remember the past, but if we live in the past, we're living in regret, we're living in disappointment, we're not living in what God has put in us for now. Over here is the future. I'm very close to this speaker. Over here is the future. And God gives you dreams for the future. And that's great. They, they're things that pull you on and give you a yearning for the future. But if you live here, you don't have the resource for it. And you live in frustration. You live in a kind of dream world that tomorrow it'll be better, or if I move to this place, it'll be better, or once I've done this, it'll be better. But it never, never is, because you've taken yourself with you. This is, where, this is no place to live. There is actually only one place to live, and that's here, in the now. You can't live in the past although the past is really good to remember. You can't live in the future, although there's a lot of hopes there. You've got to live here, because this is what God has given you resource for. Sorry, that wasn't on here. It's taken up time. But I just thought it was important. Um, um, You see, the end of the parable, this parable, is that the good stewardship leads to increase in favor. Poor stewardship leads to a decrease in favor. I just want to be clear. God loves you. It doesn't affect his love for you. It's not about love. But favor is a reflection of where we are in our walk with God. It's not a reflection of his love. It's a reflection of what he can give to us as resource to fulfill the task that he's called us to. And this parable breaks down if we press it too far. Um, Because unlike the servants, we don't operate alone. Now we actually encourage one another into increase in areas of grace and favor in our lives. And I talked about those two areas of common grace the, the sense that the, the presence of God, entering into relationship with him and also seeking more power with him. You know, that's something we're all given a level of grace in and we can all pursue that. It's, it's all, those are the talents every one of us as Christians have. And every one of us can 
steward them well. I love getting into the presence of God. But it's hard work sometimes. Sometimes you just have to kind of say, okay, I'm going to give myself an hour. And I'm not going to be distracted. And I'm going to press into God. And it's hard work sometimes. But we need to steward those things. And that's what we find with King David. You know, he just, he'd write these psalms about, you know, how he loved to be in the presence. You know, he said, you know, you, Father, is it Psalm 27? I know, uh, you know, you're, my, seek my face. You say, seek my face. Lord, I, I seek your face. I want to be there. I want to be in your presence. And, you know, there's that difference between seeking the face of God and seeking the hands of God. You know, we all need what God provides by his hands. But when we seek his face, we're seeking him just for who he is, for his eyes, looking at you, for his love. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a really good thing to do. I just want to... I need to wrap up, but I just want to talk about um, another area here. To just go back to this level, sense of commendation in our lives. Um, I'm, I'm going to take more time, sorry. Um, there's a story I just want to tell you about. A guy, some of you will come across a guy called Sean Bowles. I don't know if any of you have come across Sean, but he tells a story of when he was young, younger, when he was uh, living at home, he... He was his parents' favourite, and he had a sister who was his parents' favourite. You see, they were both the favourite. And whenever they, you know, when, he'd, when they'd phone up, they'd say, oh, you're the favourite, knowing full well that they'd say the same to the other sibling. Um, they had just had this thing, that it was a thing they did in their house. And there was one day when Dad took out um, his sister... Shopping. Now, this was a real sacrifice for Dad because he's a bit like me and I hate shopping. I'll just do it on Amazon, thank you very much. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I just hate shopping. But he, he said to his daughter, what do you want to do today? And she said, I want to go shopping. It wasn't her birthday, it wasn't Christmas, it was just a day and he wanted to bless his, sister, his, his daughter. And so she said, I want to go shopping. So he said, okay, let's go shopping. So he took his daughter out there out the whole day, purgatory, um, out the whole day, <laughs> shopping and they came back with all these bags like those clothes shoes I don't know what there was all sorts in there and Sean sees his dad come home with his sister with all this stuff and um, his his sister's smiling from ear to ear and she's had the best day it's just like being brilliant and Sean a little while later when when the, the fuss has come down he, he, he says to his dad, have you got the receipts? And his dad says, yeah. He said, could I, could I see the receipts? And his dad says, yeah, I guess. So he hands Sean the receipts and he tots it up and there's like $350 or $400 or something on there. He says, cool. Sticks them in his pocket. He says, dad, I've got the receipts got the receipts you see when we go out dad I know what I want (laughs) I've got the receipts I know you love me as much as you love my sister and I've got the receipts and what he says is that's how we are with God you see when we see someone blessed in God 
you can say to God, I've got the receipts. I want that as well. That's, that's mine. I'm having that. In fact, it happened to me very soon after I heard this story. There was this brilliant uh, we were at a conference and there was this prophetic guy and he, he just prayed over the leader of that church. And he said, um, God's just told me that he's built, you're building a foundation here that's for a much bigger church. And I said, Lord, I've got the receipt. I'm having that one. That's mine. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that because he loves you as much as he loves that other person. I know that he loves me as much as he loved that other church leader. And I knew that's what I'd been doing. I'd been building foundations. And I said, I'm having that. I've got the receipt now. I've heard that and I've got that. And that's what he, we need to better press in to what he's got for us. There's a, there's a verse in John 5:44. Jesus says, speaking to religious leaders, he says, how can you believe when you receive glory or honor from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? You see, he's not saying it's wrong to receive honor from one another. And actually, I think it's really, really powerful to honor people, to give honor to people, it encourages them. When people come out the front, even if what they, even if what they say doesn't really kind of amount to much, we've got to honour them because that's a very brave thing to do. That takes a lot of gumption just to come up and say, "I just feel God's given me this verse or God's given me this word." And if you do that, you know, that's very, you know, that's just. On, you know, we need to honour that because that's a big step to take. But honour is really good. But something's going on here, you see, because they were seeking honour from one another and that reveals something about their heart. It, it reveals the need to be accepted. It needs, there's a fear of rejection here. There's a a fear of what people think of. If you seek honour from someone else, from other people, and not from God, then it says something about where you're, where you're coming from. And it's a very vulnerable place to be. And it shapes your life. Because once you become a people pleaser, it's very hard to stop. Once you do something because you want someone to think well about you, you're seeking man's approval, then that's a very vulnerable place to be. And Jesus says, how can you believe when? It actually comes in the... It's actually a barrier to faith. Hebrews 11.6 says it's impossible to please God without faith. Who, who are we seeking to please? So we want to please people? Are we concerned with how they esteem us, how they think about us? So you can come up to the front and bring a word. But if you're doing it because you want to look good then actually it's not going to help you. But if you do it because 
God has placed a seed in your heart and you might be trembling and you might think, I I don't know what to do with this word, but I just feel I need to speak it, then that will have a powerful effect because it's been done with faith and it's been done to seek honour from God. And that is something very striking about this passage because he talks about seeking honour from God. He says, you do not seek the glory or the honour that is from the one and only God. I don't know how you feel about that seeking honour from God. There's actually a deep desire in every one of us to be connected. And seeking honour from God, doing all we can to please him, can come from one of two places. It can either come from a religious spirit or it can come from a heart of love. But they're actually very easy to tell apart because a religious spirit compares its performance to somebody else's and says, yeah, I've done all right. It does what it feels is necessary, whereas a heart of love is just extravagant. And doesn't care actually about any comparison. All it, all it cares about is that the gift was received. Ever since the Garden of Eden, man has needed that connection with God, that desire to reconnect with God, to be one with one another. So that amazing verse in Matthew 3.17 where we hear of God speaking from heaven. It says, a voice came out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the father brings honor to the son. How good would it be to feel the father saying that over you? How awesome would that be? This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus came so that we would have that relationship with God. And although perhaps it's kind of this now but not yet era we live in, these things seem very hard sometimes to enter into. But I I want to suggest that he's already given you things, resources. And he wants you to use them well so that favour on your life increases. Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus calls us to come and eat with him. To converse, to find the place of love and honour that comes when he says, he says, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. John 15. So are you ready? Are you ready with me to press into intimacy? To press it, to pursue the power that we need? He's already given us a deposit and we can use that well. If anyone wants prayer afterwards, I just love praying for people. I've got a small amount of, of gifting on me and I just want to use it because I know that if I use it, then there'll be more.
So if you want prayer, I'm very happy to pray for you. But steward what we receive. Steward the wisdom. Wisdom is that we haven't hardly talked, we haven't talked about, but wisdom's a whole other area that he gives you wisdom and use it well. Just use it. And you'll find you'll pour it back more in. Um, sometimes it, I think there can be, uh, this is just finishing, I think there can be a delay. Just in that, as in that parable, the guy went away and it was sometime later when he came back. Sometimes God looks for that steadfastness. You know, it's not always an instant thing that as soon as you do something, you get more. That actually it can be a period sometimes, a time. But whatever whatever the grace is on your life, I just want to encourage you to use it. If it's words of knowledge, if it's prophecy, if it's teaching, if it's hospitality, if it's just loving people, if you do it, if you've got a deposit of that, then just use it. Just use it. And the favor on your life will increase. Just a final thought from King David. I don't know if that's here. Yes, it is. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Father, I thank you for the favor that you've placed upon our lives. I thank you that every one of us in this room has a level of favor, whether we know it or not. Help us, God, to use that well, to steward what you've given us well. And that we might increase in favor with you. That we may increase in favor as we reach out to this community in Aldershot. May your kingdom come, Lord, we pray. May your will be done. Amen.